Dear friends, oh, I guess I should announce, this is the scripture, 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. My life revolves a lot around words. I mean, I write a lot. I talk a lot. I'm pretty sure this room is so warm because I come in here and I practice in the morning and I release a lot of hot air. But words are inadequate so often. How, how do we define those things that just seem so large? Those things that are beyond these simple combinations of sounds that are supposed to draw some idea in our brain. How do you talk about love? How do you define how, what God is? Blank. How you finish that sentence probably tells me a lot more about the kind of person you are than a lot more about who God is. You could fill books upon books, and they still would fail to grasp the most basic essence of who the Creator is. And so we use these big terms like love that, frankly, how do you even describe, how do you define what love is? Choose a word that's so big that you can't define it. To define someone who is so big, you can't have a word to define them. That works. The writer of 1 John, writing to his brothers and sisters in the Ephesian church who were struggling with how Christ and Jesus work as one. They, they were struggling to understand how that worked. Decided that he was going to describe God first as light and then by love. And he attempted to make up for this weakness that is the human language by using a literary device we call amplification. Think of it like painting with watercolors. Watercolors are inherently faint. You pass the brush over the canvas once, and you get just a hint of the color. You pass it over again, and the color is a little stronger, and then a little stronger yet as you add more and more layers. It intensifies. You add other colors, a little blue, a little purple, and you add nuance, and you change the shade, such it is with this story. He keeps going back to the idea of God is love, God is light, and talking about the different problems. 
in the church, and then describing how the light and the love of God solve those problems, each time redefining love and light. But it's still incomplete. It never fully defines God. And let's face it, if First John defined who God was perfectly, we wouldn't need the other 65 books. Also, the Bible would just be really easy to read in like 10 minutes. It's a short book. It's still incomplete. Amplification helps, but it's incomplete. But you know what? Amplification isn't only a literary device. It's a way of living. A person who centers their entire being around one central idea. And throughout their life, they come back to it again and again and again. So by the end of their life, you look back on their time and you see a painting so deep and nuanced that it gives you just the faintest hints of who God really is. In the case of Sister Anna, it was love. Not just human love, but love like God's. Now, Sister Anna always put others in front of herself. That's not to say she was a doormat. The only thing that was even relatively doormat about her was that she was shorter than average. But if you know any short people, I can probably, you can probably tell me that very few short people are actually easy to walk over. My sister-in-law could easily beat me up and she's barely five foot one. I may say more about me than anything. Anyway, but she always recognized when she needed to step up and roll up her sleeves and put herself into work to serve. Now, her dad was a man we remember as I.N.H. Beam, or the little man. And remember, I, I sometimes read the, I've read the tall man, middle man, little man books, celebrating three brother and heroes, John Noss, John Klein, and I.N.H. Beam. I call him I.N.H. because Isaac Newton Harvey's a lot to say. Now, he traveled all over the country, famously on the rails. He was well known on all the rail lines, going to different brethren churches and district meetings and conferences to preach about how God loves everyone and why education is important for our young folk. He was also the first and I think third president of the Cadillac of Brethren Colleges, Elizabethtown. Thank you. But this meant he spent a lot of time on the road, and he wasn't home often to assist with family. And his wife had a lot of family to care for. Four daughters and a son. Anna was the oldest. Now, Anna, like her father, loved education. She loved to learn. And so that was her joy in the house, reading, going to school, learning, and then passing that on to her younger siblings. But she also had to do things she didn't like. And her chore was the thing she hated the most, doing dishes. And as we all know, there are five things that are always perpetual in our world, inevitable. Death, taxes, change, dishes, laundry. 
You will never catch up with those. They will always come. She hated it so much. But as she grew, she also realized just what doing the dishes meant. It wasn't just that she was making sure that there wasn't a pile of dirty dishes and fruit flies and disgustingness happening in the kitchen constantly. But by doing the dishes, it meant that her mom had some time to do other things that needed to be done around the house. That her brothers and her brother and clean plates and a sanitary place to live. That her father had one less thing to worry about as he was out working. She realized that her caring this way was important and powerful in the family. And so she figured out also at a young age, which is impressive for someone at a young age, because I'm barely getting this at 35, that you always have two choices with how to approach something that must be done. You can be miserable or you cannot be miserable. She figured that out at a young age. And she figured out she could not be miserable while doing it. So she learned to use the time to talk with those in the room with her, to sing, to tell herself stories, to pray. She was so convincing that later in life when she married Baxter, Baxter Mao, he was convinced that it was her favorite chore and he refused to ever do the dishes because he didn't want to take that away from her. I have to say, this is a little bit of a flimsy excuse. But if it works. In fact, as Anna grew and um, became well-known as a speaker and preacher in the Church of the Brethren and traveled to meetings, she would come home to a sink full of dirty dishes that Baxter had left for her, so she had the joy of doing the dishes. Though one Sunday she came in, or one day she came in after a particularly long trip, and their sink was clean. Baxter, you did the dishes. No. He goes and he pulls a basket out from the closet full of dirty dishes for her. There are just too many to go in the sink. Sister Anna laughed, rolled up her sleeves, and started singing. This is love that is transformational. This is the love that Jesus calls us to, not just love that makes us do things for others, but love that transforms our very way of feeling and interacting, the kind of love that changes our outlook on the world. As any parent can tell you, they may have thought there is no way I can change a dirty diaper, there is no way I could be thrown up on. There's no way I can do any of that kind of disgusting stuff until they have the child. Love transforms that. Now, Jesus talks about this in a very extreme form. Back on the, the Sermon on the Mount, he makes these hyperbolic statements. Now, the thing with hyperbole is you never take it seriously. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be so extreme that you think, what is this nonsense? And then you get the deeper meaning behind it. So in Matthew 5, 27, 30, this is Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall now, should not, shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose a body part than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus, of course, is not calling for self-mutilation. Please do not cut off hands or eyes. But he was living in a time when women were looked on as objects. You married a woman, her job was to give you children, to keep your house nice, to make your dinner, put it on the table, but they weren't considered really human. They were still objects to look at. Jesus didn't like that. He wanted them to change their mindset. It wasn't enough that they were faithful in their marriage, but they needed to see the women as the people they are and not objects. Something today we may logically understand in this society, though we time to time struggle with it. Jesus wants them to transform their hearts. Paul is a great example of this. You know, Paul, who was originally called himself Saul, was concerned, rules, traditions, punishment for those who put one toe out of line. And becomes Paul, who proclaims grace and freedom and faith and love. Anna's transformations were always less drastic. It was the little things, but they were no less important, learning to take these lemons in life and turn them into lemonade. Or in her case, when she was told they didn't have enough money to send her to India, and so they opened up a small school in rural Virginia, learning to take the pumpkins that they were often paid, uh, paid in for their services by the impoverished folks they taught, learning to turn them into 365 non-pie recipes. Uh, let's face it, pumpkin pie is delicious. You don't want it every day. Love that transforms the people we are into the people we are called to be. Well, you know, honestly, when we all think of Christian love, I imagine the very first thought you have is something along the lines of what we call Christian charity. We talked about that a couple weeks. Charity is the love for strangers, for brothers, for sisters, the love that says we need to care for those who have less than us. You know, last week we did the judgment of the nations, is our scripture. And John reiterates that. He says, how does God's love abide in anyone who has goods and sees another in need and yet still refuses to help? John reasoned that if God is love and we are his and we reflect that, then we should be reflecting that. Love is outward. Love that transforms us inside and then is active in the world. Sister Anna lived that in her life. As, she, as I said, she taught those who had no access to education. And eventually they said, we have the money, we can send you to India. And so she and Baxter served as missionaries there. There, their three children are born, Lois, Joseph, and Meryl. And Meryl had the most unlucky of birthdays. You know, kids get two uh, candy holidays every year, Easter, Halloween, 
and two present giving holidays every year, Christmas and their birthday. But what happens when your birthday falls on Christmas? You get less. And as a little kid, that's an important thing. Except for my cousin. He was born a couple days after Christmas, and so he got all the regular presents, and then because all the aunts and uncles were in, he got extra presents. Not that I'm jealous. People said to Anna and Baxter, oh, how unlucky. But Anna and Baxter were determined to make sure that Meryl always had a great birthday and a great Christmas. And so they split the day. Half the day was all about Meryl and half the day was all about Jesus. But you know, something else kind of happened with it. Meryl always connected the fact that he and Jesus shared a birthday. And he didn't think it was right that he got presents and Jesus didn't. He looked at his mom and dad and saw that they didn't just give of themselves that one day a year, that they gave 364 other days. He wanted to be like them. He wanted to emulate their love for others. For him, he wanted to give some of that away. And so he went to his mom. Mom, I want to give Jesus a birthday present. Well, there's a problem with that. You can't exactly give Jesus your new fire truck or a book or your new puzzle because Jesus can't actually use those. But you can give to those that Jesus told us to give to. So you could give it to another little child. Well, the next day, after being out and working, Anna comes home and she notices that Meryl's new fire truck, his new puzzle, on all of his books are gone. The ones he had just received the day before on Christmas. Meryl, where are they? Well, I gave them to the other little kids in the village. Anna laughed. To end that story, they actually went to the marketplace because the downside of giving away all your books when you're in India and you're a young boy who's learning English is that you're the only child in that village who can probably understand English. So they went and got books in Hindi and traded all the books around, so he actually got his books back. No word on the fire truck or the puzzle. This is not just love that transforms the lives that we directly touch. But this is love that transforms those lives into a way that it perpetuates that love. It's transformation of yourself that leads you to not only making those lives better, but transforming them in the same way. Love that reaches outward, ever onward. You see, coming into contact with God is to come in close to the love of God, to be filled and transformed by it. And being transformed by God's love pushes us to do things that we may not have ever considered, things we thought impossible. That happened in an airplane terminal in one of my favorite Sister Anna stories. There was a man who some of you may recognize his name, named General Lewis Blaine Hershey. As far as I'm aware, no relation to Milton. Unlike Milton, who was pretty universally beloved in his day, 
General Hershey was universally hated in his day. But who could blame the fact that he was well hated? After all, he was, through the middle of the 20th century, in charge of the selective service. That's right. He was in charge of the draft for World War II and then the Korean and the Vietnam Wars. Sister Anna saw him in the airport. She, as it was quoted in the book, waddled up to him quickly, grabbed him by the sleeve, and gave him a little yank. He turned to look at this diminutive woman in plain dress, and she introduced herself and reminded them that they had had a correspondence some years before. It happened when her son had been drafted into the military. He wrote to his local board and then appeared before them. He wanted to be understood that he was a conscientious objector. Like Ted Studebaker and many other brethren, he couldn't, he couldn't bear with the idea that he would pick up a weapon and harm another. The board rejected it. So she wrote straight to the top, straight to General Hershey, a letter to him about the faith of the brethren, the faith of herself, her son's faith, and his crisis of conscience in this time. The general was understanding. He overruled the local board and sent a letter back to Sister Anna, to which she sent one last letter thanking him. At the airport, this tall general said that he did recall these letters. He said, you're welcome, and he turned to leave. She reached out once again and grabbed him by the sleeve, turning this giant of a man back to her. General, General Hershey, I want you to know that I pray for you every day. This decorated and respected officer was not used to this idea. It shocked him to his very core, and he began to cry. For those who lived through the Korean and the Vietnam Wars, you know how disliked he was. He was yelled at, screamed at, cursed at. He was the butt of jokes. He had seen his effigy burned in college squares. But here was this quiet little woman with powerful love, unexpected love, and it left a deep impact on his soul. Though many, many would have seen the two of them as natural opposites, even adversarial, Anna didn't see him that way. Anna didn't see him the way others did either. She saw him as a person who was carrying around the weight of his decisions and the weight of the world on his shoulders and knew that he was someone who God loved and cared for. Someone who needed to know that he was loved and cared for. God's love has no boundaries, no limits. We are called to love like God. And to see someone actually do it, though, to do so so purely, that's rare. It's shocking. I, we, we always lose a bit in the story of the Samaritan who stops and aids the young Jew who has been beaten and left at the side of the road. But for Jesus' time, it was just as shocking. 
just as jarring. Now, Sister Anna's story is much broader than this. Honestly, it's far, far more complex. As I said, she led a life of amplification of God's love. And I could tell stories of her all day, but I decided I was going to follow John's rule of doing three amplifications poor idea. So we'll leave it at that. She is a unique person in this grouping of people we've been talking about. Because we do not remember Sister Anna because she started some organization or she had some major fight with an annual conference or that she lived and died in some interesting, miraculous way. We remember her because she lived a very long time, always focused on this love. And through those decades, we came to understand a little more of God's love. She was a preacher, a teacher, a professor, a missionary, a sister, a mentor, an elder, a speaker, mother of the year in Virginia, and so much more, including a friend to many, and some of those people may even be in this room if they're not just watching from home today. At age 83, she was surprised by a party in her honor which included a choir of children singing Andy and Terry's new song titled Sister Anna, Beauty Queen. Andy was poking a little fun at her. There had been a picture many years before of her lying in a bed with her foot propped up and you could see a hole in her stocking, which was very risque. It was her heel. And so he made jokes about how she was a beauty queen, but then talking about how beautiful her soul really was. After the song, she came up, was handed a bouquet, and she turned and she said to all those who were there to celebrate her many years of ministry and said, all that I am, I owe to Jesus. Anna looked to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and saw what true love looks like. Just as the author of 1 John says he sees the same thing. In that moment of sacrifice upon the cross, we see a God who has willingly died in the most excruciating ways in order to bring us, us closer to him to offer us something beyond this world. Love that transcends all boundaries. Love that changes the world and the lives around us. Love that transforms who we are and improves upon it. Love that is willing to do anything. I lied. I actually have one last Sister Anna story. My mom at a young age, felt a call to ministry. This was early 80s, late 70s. The thing is, is in those days, there were very few brother and women preachers until she encountered Anna Mao. And so she wrote a letter to her. And she received one of Anna's books back. And in it, a note that said to trust her heart. Well, actually, my mom decided she was going to become a missionary that day until she 
as part of her schooling was actually sent. She went to a school that offered missionary as a degree until she actually went into the field and discovered missionary work was not for her. That's when she started working towards what she is now retiring as, as an outdoor ministry person. Love that transforms. I don't know how I would be here today if Sister Anna hadn't written to my mom and gave her the idea that she could be something she hadn't believed. Love that pushes us directions we never would have thought we might go in. Now, John was writing to these folks because they were struggling to understand who Jesus was. They were under, struggling to understand who God is. He said, God's two things. God is light. God is love. So, Who do we say God is? And do we follow that? Do we follow that idea that God is love? Do we reflect that in this world? You know, I always like to finish with these quotes. And in it, Anna wrote, and you can read this, it's in front of your bulletin, peace is not a fruit of the Spirit by the mere absence of conflict or war. It is it's not a static calm, but is very powerful and dynamic. That's true for everything with God, for every fruit of Spirit, for love, for peace, for joy, for faith. And she shows us what a life, life living in dynamic love looks like reflecting the scriptures into our real world. So, be dynamic and love like God. You know, churches only give or take an hour a week. It's not that big of a time because we are here to be refreshed and refilled because so much of the rest of life is draining. So may you be filled. May you be filled with the love of God because love is dynamic. It changes, it pushes, it makes us into better people. So may you be filled with love. And may it be dynamic. Amen.